morning again as we transition from our time spent in worship to our time spent in the Word with Pastor Justin bringing us a message this morning. Uh, we'd like to take an opportunity to pray. God, we thank you for uh, who you are and who you have called us to be. You are Lord of all. Jesus, you have saved us from our sins. God, you love us. You created us. You gave us life. And uh, you have called us to be heirs to your throne, followers of you, disciples, Christians, people of the way. And God, even though we uh, are worshiping in apart from each other, we are united in the fact that we worship you as Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus. And that is uh, the great uniter despite us being physically separate. So for those who are, are struggling with being stuck at home or who aren't feeling well or who are uh, maybe struggling with some anxiety because of everything going on, we pray your comfort upon them. We pray that uh, they would find peace that surpasses understanding, as Justin preached about, that they would uh, be able to find a little bit of, of light in what feels like a dark place because of you, Jesus. And we all need that. Uh, whatever dark place we have in our lives, whatever feels dark, I pray that your light would inject into it because the darkness doesn't understand the light. The light always wins. So Jesus, I pray your light into the homes of people who are watching this this morning. So we are blessed to be here and gathered under your name, Jesus Christ, and we think about all of our brothers and sisters who aren't here with us this morning because of social distancing, and we love them and we miss them, but we know that we'll see them again soon and we get back together here on a Sunday morning uh, to worship you uh, the way that we're more used to. Now, uh, Lord, I want to pray for Justin as he prepares to uh, deliver your word, as he prepares to read your scripture, and provide us with a message. I pray that you would uh, bless his words, that we would have ears to hear and hearts that are open and minds that are ready to learn and a soul that's ready to be refreshed by the power of your word. And I pray for Justin as he delivers it, that he would be a conduit of your grace, of your mercy, of your wisdom, of your love as he brings us the word. Lord, we love you. We are grateful for this morning to worship in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You open your Bibles with me. Today we're going to be reading Psalm 81. Give you a minute to find that in your Bible. Remember, the Psalms are almost always right there in the middle. So flip right to the middle of your Bible and find Psalm 81. We're going to be reading the whole Psalm today. Psalm 81. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music, strike the tambourine, play the melodious harp and lyre, sound the ram's horn at the new moon, and when the moon is full on the day of our feast. This is a decree for Israel, an ordinance of the God our Jacob. He established it as a statute for Joseph when he went out against Egypt, when we heard a language we did not understand. He says, I removed a burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress you called and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will warn you, if only you would listen to me, O Israel. You shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not bow down to an alien god. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people will not listen to me. Israel will not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts 
to follow their own devices. If my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord will cringe before him, and their punishment will last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock, I will satisfy you. May God bless this reading of his word today. I have a sneaking suspicion that many people who come to church, who have ever gone to church, never have really given much thought to why we order the worship service the way we do. Maybe you've always thought this is just a tradition. We're just kind of following in a pattern we've always followed. And there's a little bit of truth to that. But there's actually a very intelligent, well-designed meaning to the structure of worship service. At the core of a worship service is a conversation between the people and their God. It's this kind of call and response that flows back and forth throughout every single worship service that we've ever had here in pretty much almost every church. For instance, when we came in, we had a call to worship. That's the people, or that's God talking to us. And then we sing to God in response to that. When we pray and confess our sins, then we have a time of absolution where God forgives us. And then we hear the sermon, God talks to us, and then we respond to him with our tithes and offerings. That's that call and response, that back and forth, this conversation between God and his people during worship. And it wasn't just something we made up. It wasn't something that came along with when somebody had a really great idea a couple hundred years ago. Worship was instituted like this from the beginning in the scriptures. We see this all throughout the Bible, how God ordains the structure of worship, that he wants us to talk to him through worship, and he wants to talk to us in response. We see a really great example of that back-and-forth nature here in Psalm 81. Because in Psalm 81, the people, the people are singing to God. And then God turns around and he responds to them. He talks back to them. That's really cool. So we learn through this psalm, we learn about how to worship. And we learn that through worship, God responds to us and he reminds us of the past so that we might re- mightily respond to him right now. So New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, Easter, Memorial Day, Arbor Day, uh, Fourth of July, Labor Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve. Seems like our years, at least before all this started to happen, our year was pretty much always structured around major holidays. Those major holidays seem to punctuate the year And a lot of our year was kind of centered around the the coming and going of those different holiday seasons. It was like that back in Israel's time, too. But instead of the holidays that we have, they had their own holidays that God ordained and instituted back in the book of Leviticus. There were a whole series of these feasts, of these holidays that would happen. But the biggest one of them all, the greatest holiday that Israel would ever celebrate, was called the Feast of Tabernacles. It wasn't even an annual holiday. That would happen every seven years. The Feast of Tabernacle would come around. And when that happened, everybody in Israel left their homes, and they went out, and they basically went on a giant camping trip for a week. They lived in tents for a week to remind them of of their history, of their heritage, 
of how the Israelites, when God brought them up out of Egypt, they would live in tents and worship God in the desert there. So they wanted to remember this week-long celebration of living in tents and remembering what God had done. And a major part of the Feast of Tabernacles was music. It was a massive part of it. And, and in fact, it wasn't just like this somber, Gregorian chant kind of music, but it was loud, boisterous, happy music, people dancing around, people singing from the bottoms of their heart, this kind of song and praise to God. And we see that in the first few verses here in Psalm 81. Basically, he's calling, he's like, grab those instruments, get out there, grab, grab the tambourines, get the harps, get the lyres, get the horns, and start making that joyful noise to the Lord. And it wasn't just a bunch of people mumbling their way through amazing grace. There are people singing genuinely, enthusiastically, singing all day long. They just couldn't get enough of it. I used to have a pastor who had a habit. We used to, we used to kind of groan every time he did this. But if we were singing in church, and we were singing through a hymn, and we weren't doing it joyfully enough, he would stop us. He would, he would give our, our choir director conniptions when he did this. He's like, stop the music. Stop it. And then he would remind us, we are singing into the ear of the Almighty One. Is that really the tone of voice we want to be using when we're singing to God? He would remind us there would be a bit of a guilt trip in there. That's, that's a pastor's uh, prerogative. We get to give guilt trips every now and then. He would remind us why we're singing and who we were singing to. And then he would say, let's sing that again. And invariably, the second time we sang, we sang genuinely from the bottom of our hearts. It was great. Now, the songs that the Israelites sang here during the Feast of Tabernacles weren't just for fun, and they weren't just to please God, although they did both of those things. But the key purpose of these songs was to remind them of what God had done, to remind them of God's works. Now, scientists today have done a lot of studies on the link between music and memory. And obviously, there's a very powerful link there. Music has this ability to retrieve information out of our brains that almost nothing else can. It's why we teach little kids, when they're, when they're small, we teach them their ABCs as a song, right? A, B, C, D, right? It's the only song I know by heart, right there. Actually, a lot of you probably know entire passages from the Bible because somebody wrote it down into song lyrics, and you've heard these songs over and over again, and you've actually come to memorize portions of the Bible. You've even memorized psalms. If I asked you right now, I said, hey, can you tell me what Psalm 42 is? Can you tell me that from memory? You probably wouldn't have a clue. But some of you were out there, if I was to start singing, as the deer panteth for the water, you're singing right along with me. That's Psalm 42. Music helps us retrieve information. And God knows this. That's why he wants us to sing. During the Feast of Tabernacles, they were singing so that they were dusting off the, the memory, the collective memory of the entire nation, so that the entire nation of Israel would remember what God had done, that God had done all these great things to preserve, to save, and to teach his people. And they're reminded of how powerful God is, how much they're depending on him. Every song they're singing, they're teaching their children they're reminding them they're themselves, they're rejoicing with the community, and their brains are getting refreshed. And so every seven years, this would happen. 
You see, we're not just invited to sing to God, but it says right here in Psalm 81 that God the King decrees that we sing to him. I've often had kids ask me, why do we have to sing in church? Why do we have to sing? I hate singing. It always seems to come from kids and then adults who are tone deaf. Why do we have to sing in church, right? We sing because God decreed that we sing. He wants us to sing, not just for our pleasure, not just for his pleasure, but to teach us. And the more we sing, the more we learn. And fortunately, even those of us, like myself, who maybe don't have the best pitch, the Holy Spirit is there to take our words and to help, help us along with this part of worship. Ephesians 5 tells us, Be filled with the Spirit, singing to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. The Spirit helps us sing. Sing for praise, but also when you sing, sing to remember. And here's the thing, you don't just sing on Sunday mornings. You don't just have to wait until you come into worship. Remember, worship can be part of your daily life. Not just Bible reading, not just prayer, but you can also sing. Try that this week. Look around, make sure nobody's around listening to you, right? And close all the doors, close the windows. But then sing a song. Sing a song of praise. Sometimes I find myself doing that. I'm driving along, I'm doing my devotions. Instead of a prayer, I just sing. And God reminds me of something really important. Now, it's extremely rare for psalms to add narrative. Narrative isn't really the point of the psalms. But in the middle of Psalm 5, and right there in, tucked in, in verse 5 here, in Psalm 81, it's a little bit of narrative where the writer said that as the people were singing at the Feast of Tabernacle, God then turned around and spoke to them. There's just a little bit of, of narrative here. And the rest of this psalm is God's response to the people in worship. He's responding. They've lifted their voice up. There's this call and response. They lifted their voice up. God is speaking back down to them. And the first thing God does here is to remind the people of their past. They've probably forgotten. I mean, how quickly we forget so many things in our life. I wish we could remember more things. The other day, a friend of mine posted a picture on Twitter of a board game. It was a board game I used to have when I was a kid. I had completely forgotten about it. But it's amazing how just one picture sent a flood of memories going back through my head of how I used to play this game with my brothers when we were on uh, Thanksgiving holiday at my cousin's house. And I called my brother. I'm like, oh, do you remember this game? And he's like, no. I'm, like, I'm going to send you a picture. It might remind you. And I felt like just, that, just seeing that picture and getting that memory back, I was given a very small but precious gift of remembering a good time with my family. And that's what memory does. That's, that's why God is giving his people a gift of memory. He wants to remind them of their past, of walking them through the rescue from Egypt, their deliverance out of slavery, out of bondage, out of having their kids taken away from them and rescued and brought into, into the desert where God continued to provide for them food and water, and he spoke to them from the Mount Sinai. And here in Psalm 81, God doesn't just give them that, like if you've ever been in a history class where sometimes you get these very dry dates and facts, that God's not doing that. He's actually using vivid imagery. He's using images because that's another way that our memories are triggered. 
And the, I love the images here he uses, like the heavy baskets in their hands to represent slavery. I mean, even the people who were singing this weren't alive back in those times. They could imagine what it would be like carrying around those heavy burdens day after day after day. Or he uses the, the image, the sound of a talking thundercloud. It made the people think, what would a thundercloud sound like if it spoke, if God spoke from a thundercloud? Or uses the, the taste of water and the idea of this refreshing spring of water coming up through the desert. I'm sure many of your favorite memories of childhood, of your parents, of Christmas, come from smell and taste and touch. And you're reminded of these things. And through these past memories that God gives them, the people are reminded of their covenant responsibilities. They're responsible. God had saved them, but he saved them for a purpose. And that purpose was for Israel to be his people. They had a responsibility that they had. And that responsibility, that response, was to conform to his likeness, to conform to the image of God by obeying his commandments. Israel was notorious for failing to do this. And they kept failing to live up to their end of the deal, even with all these songs and the reminders and the festivals that kept trying to trigger these memories. But Israel kept wandering right away from God. And that's when God laments here in verse 8 that if only they'd listen, if only they would obey, they would find such blessing and prosperity raining down on their heads. God says this. He says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. I read that and I got the image of those. Every time you see an image of baby birds in their nest, what are they, they're always sticking their beaks up and they always have their beaks wide open. They're waiting for their mama bird to come down and fill their mouth with food. And God's kind of has that same image. He says, open your mouth. If you would just listen, if you would just obey, I would fill you, fill you to the brim with such blessing and prosperity. The more we remember what God has done for us in the past, the more we dust off those memories, the more we find ourselves willing and eager to obey him. Romans 8.29 tells us that those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's our purpose in life, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's our singular goal. But we can't do that if we keep forgetting who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Today, I think we need to spend some time thinking about the salvation and the blessings that Jesus gave to each one of us out of his love. And then we need to listen as he asks us to respond in faithful obedience. He's asking us, will you listen? Will you obey? How do you respond to that? Of course, when you're especially stubborn, sometimes the only lesson that gets through your head is a lesson you learn the hard way. Your parents can tell you that the stove is hot. Do not get near the stove. That is dangerous. Do not touch the stove. But there is that special brand of person that will only actually learn that lesson when they've reached out and burned their hand. And they've learned that lesson the hard way. I like to say that I'm wise and I'm smart enough not to be a stubborn and ignorant fool who, learn, who has to learn these hard lessons, but I would be lying. I've had to learn very hard lessons over and over again in my life. And if there's anything that the Old Testament shows us, 
is that God is willing to teach us the hard way if we're not responding to his gentle instruction. There's a specific phrase that we encounter in the Bible in regards to this. And you'll see that, and you'll go, that's kind of a weird phrase. But once you understand it, I think it makes a lot of sense. That phrase is hardening the heart. When you see that phrase, hardening the heart, what it means is God has taken his restraining hand off of you and left you to your own devices. He says, I have this hand on you that is preventing you from going full tilt with your sin. It's actually preventing you from sinning worse than you already are. But if you really want to learn lessons the hard way, I will take my hand off of you and you will harden your heart and you'll live according to your own wisdom. That's not something you want, by the way. You don't want to live according to your own wisdom. God gave Pharaoh an exodus over to his own wisdom and he learned that lesson the hard way. He only submitted to God after he lost his firstborn son. God gave Israel over to their own wisdom, finally, and they had to spend seven years in exile in foreign countries until they submitted to God and were allowed to return home. In the Gospels, Jesus tells a parable, the parable of the prodigal son who refused to listen to his father who became stubborn and rebellious and said, I want to live my life my way. And the father said, fine, live according to your own wisdom. See where that gets you. And at the end, in the middle of that story, what that got him was taking care of pigs and starting to eat their food, the pig slop, because that was the only thing that he could find to eat. That's where your wisdom leads you. It leads you to destruction. It leads you to places of despair. In this tough love, God will sometimes let our hearts be hardened because he's trying to teach us the hard way because we're just too stubborn to learn it any other way. But he's willing to teach us that way if the end result is our surrender and our submission. I hope that we are smart enough to recognize how and when we are being stubborn to God. I pray that we'll take God's advice to actually hear and obey him before those hard lessons arrive. But if we have to endure a hard lesson, I guess my next prayer is that we'll actually respond in good faith. That we'll respond to God and say, God, finally, I get it. I was a fool. Please forgive me. Instead of digging ourselves deeper and deeper into a pit of our so-called wisdom. Now, whether God's people started to obey because they heard and listened the first time or because they had to learn the hard way, the result of submission is a promising future. I love how this psalm ends. Psalm 81, the last four verses, are all about God giving his, his listeners a preview of their life to come, a preview of all these great blessings and great provisions that he has in store for them. It's like, guys, I can't wait to give you all this. I'm so excited about it. I want to give you a preview of what I want to provide for you in the future. But I have so much sympathy for God's line here when he says, if my people would only listen to me. When he says that, I think, oh man, I as a parent have said this so many times to my kids. I'll tell them in the morning, I'll say, guys, if you listen and obey today, if you behave yourselves, and they're watching right now, they're like, yes, I've heard this a million times. If you guys listen, I have a special treat for you guys later today. I want to give you that treat. I'm so excited to give you that. You just have to listen, obey, behave yourself. 
And invariably, eight times out of ten, by noon, somebody's kicked somebody else and they're crying and the couch is on fire. It's almost inevitable. If, and I'm, I'm ripping my hair out going, if you had only listened, your day could have ended so much better. And yet, I look up at God and God's like, see what I had to deal with? Imagine me. I'm dealing with that on a scale that you can't imagine how many kids I have. And I'm telling them, if you'll only listen. Look at what I want to give you. Look at what I want to give you. But he can't give us that, that wonderful future if we're still being rebellious. And on our own, I think it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to obey God this way. Only Jesus stepped up and said, Yes, Father, I will obey. I will hear and I will obey. I'm hearing what you're saying. And he perfectly lived out his life. And that's great for Jesus. But it became even greater for us because through his death on the cross, Jesus was able to turn around and say, I'm not just dying, I'm not dying for my sins because I don't have sins. I'm dying for all theirs. So God, I've paid the price. Give them your wonderful provisions. Give them that treat you want to give them so dearly. The Father lays out this great feast in the last couple of verses here. It says, I've given you, I want to give you this great feast full of the best baked bread and sweetest rock-crushed honey. I don't know why we use rock-crushed honey here. I think God's saying I can take anything and I can, I can make it sweet. I can take even the driest rock and I can turn it into the, the best dessert you've ever imagined. And the sun opens these doors to allow us to come in and to partake of this feast because he's paid the price of our admission. At its core, Psalm 81 asks us a question that the entire book of Psalms asks us. Will you listen and will you obey? Will you listen and will you obey? God's talking to you right now through this psalm. If only you'll listen. I have such a future laid out for you. If only you listen. I want you to have it. I know you're going to love it. Will you listen? Will you obey? And you can't listen on your own. You can't do it by yourself. But if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the Spirit can help you listen and help you respond in obedience and start conforming your life bit by bit to becoming more like Christ. Will you listen? Will you respond? Do you want to spend your life following your own wisdom? Those of us who are old enough who have gone down that path more than once, we know where that ends. We know that it doesn't make us happy in the end. Or do we want to listen to God's wisdom and follow it and enjoy the sweet and satisfying provisions that he has in store for us. I pray that's to your case. Let's pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we are sometimes so stubborn. So, so much do we think, Lord, we know the right way. We've got great ideas for our own lives. And, and you know, we'll, we'll listen to the Bible and we'll obey it when it's convenient. But when it's not, well, we'd rather do our own thing. Lord, that just shows us how the depths of our sin in our life, how utterly corrupted we've become. Lord, we have hope. We know that hope is you. We know that you can start taking the axe, taking a pickaxe to all that sin in our life, carving it out and filling it with something better, with your wisdom, your purpose, your plan. Lord, I pray for that for myself, and I pray for that for the people here at Knox and those who are listening.
Lord, we've had enough of following our life according to our own wisdom. I think it's time we start trying to follow yours. I pray that we wouldn't be so hard-headed that we'd ignore this great truth and this great offer that you're making to us right now. Help us to respond, Lord. Help to grow us this faith that just desires you, is eager to read the word and respond to what it says. Please be with us, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thanks for spending your morning with us, or if you're watching this on replay, thanks for taking some time out to worship with us. Uh, Just a reminder, we'll be back at 10.30 again next Sunday, 6 o'clock tonight for Bible study, Wednesday morning Bible study, Wednesday evening prayer meeting. There are all kinds of chances to connect with us throughout the week. Uh, We miss you guys. Uh, Just interesting, uh, as Justin's talking about his kids, and there's beauty in the grace that, that comes afterward. And that's the advantage that we have of a relationship with Jesus, that um, our sin identifies the, the problem we have. Right? Paul says, I'm grateful for the law because it shows that I'm a sinner. But the difference between what we have and what others don't have is that we have grace at the end of that sin. So yeah, we break the law. Yeah, we're sinners. Yeah, we have this darkness in our lives and in our hearts. And we're hard-headed and our hearts are hard. But the beauty is we know the one that restores, forgives, and saves us. And that is the gospel And that is what we lean hard into. So uh, don't be discouraged that we make mistakes. As long as we turn to Jesus, we repent, and we ask for forgiveness. So in in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask that you would go in peace. We miss you guys, we love you guys, and we hope to see you soon. Be well.